This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Like all public radio stations, WDFH depends on financial support from our listeners. Please visit WDFH.org and click on Donate to make your tax-deductible gift. Shows like this can't be done without your support. Thanks, and now, Outcasting. This is Outcasting, the Lower Hudson Valley's only youth-run radio show dealing with LGBTQ struggles, triumphs, lifestyles, and fantasies. Well, you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH 90.3 FM in Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. Hi, I'm George. Today, we focus on PrideWorks for Youth, an annual conference presented by PFLAG Westchester, Glesson Hudson Valley, and Center Lane, a program of Westchester Jewish Community Services. PrideWorks was held in 2011 on November 17th at the Double Tree Hotel in Tarrytown, New York. PrideWorks consists of workshops and speeches that are designed to inform and educate LGBT youth and their allies about the realities of growing up gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, and to inspire them to respect and support LGBT people and to advocate for positive change. Hi, this is Travis. I'm joined today by George, Morgan, Nora, and Maddie. And today we're going to talk about the PrideWorks conference that we all attended. How are you guys doing tonight? Great. Hey. Fantastic. Excellent. Let's just go around and talk about PrideWorks. So why did you guys go? George? I went because I didn't go last year. This is my first time going. And I really wanted to um, see what it was all about get the first-time experience, and also support WDFH at the booth, which I did the whole day, basically. We had a beautiful booth. Yeah, it was really nice. Morgan, why were you there? Um, I've been going to PrideWorks since 8th grade, I believe. I just really like it. Um, I like I love the workshops, and I love the environment it has. It's one of the more supporting places I've been to. Nora, why did you go? This year, it was my second year going, and it was really interesting to go um, as a volunteer for uh, WDFH as well as um, a uh, participant for my high school. I went because, like Morgan said, I really love the workshops. I feel like I get a lot out of it, and though I'm not like the most social person, I really love the social energy, the way that kids are so open to each other, really want to make friends, and just sort of get out of what is definitely my comfort zone and Uh, go out there and sort of express themselves. It's really, really awesome to see that. Maddie? Uh, Pretty much exactly what Nora said, just the social energy. Um, This was my third year going, I believe, and every year I say the same thing, like I never want to leave. Like I wish I could just continue for another week because it's so great. (laughs) What did you guys get out of PrideWorks this year? Like what were your workshops like, the people? A big deal is always the community during lunchtime when we all just kind of like sit in a circle and people sing and stuff poetry too that's fun morgan i went to two workshops one of them was queer cinema we sort of traced the um history of gay portrayals um in movies and how they've changed over the years and how they they also haven't really changed 
and I also went to Transgender 101. I noticed that this year there was a lot more focus in PrideWorks on um, trans-related issues. Both the keynote speakers were transgender and talking about their experiences, and then there was um, um, at least two workshops entirely about transgender issues. So I thought that was nice. Yeah, trans is getting a lot more attention nowadays because people are realizing the lack of attention that they're getting in the LGBTQ community. Uh, Nora, what was it like for you at PrideWorks? Um, well, I was uh, lucky enough to attend uh, three workshops, um, Queer Cinema, Transgender 101 with uh, Ryan Casada, who is the uh, speaker, and he's also a musician, um, very talented and uh, very articulate about his experience and so um, compassionate towards the issue and so, like I said, articulate and able to give people who don't necessarily understand what it means to be trans a very clear and concise idea of the situation trans people are in when they are really not comfortable in their own bodies. Alrighty, so Maddie, what was what was it like for you at PrideWorks? Uh, well, I got to sit at uh, the WDFH booth for a little bit with George, and then um, I actually went to the same workshop as Nora. It was the se- Safe Sex workshop run by uh, two women from Planned Parenthood. And one thing that really stuck out about that one was that they didn't only focus on LGBT issues. And that's something that I really love about PrideWorks, that you don't have to be LGBT to go and you don't have to be LGBT to get interested in it. They give you a lot of information and resources that anybody can use. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we need PrideWorks? Morgan? Even though there is a stronger LGBT community, it's we're still in a minority, and it's still hard to find others uh, like us and um, to talk, to educate and talk about issues. And I just think it's a really cool experience to be in this convention where everyone is supportive. Mm-hmm. George? I felt like as a straight ally, I really fit in with everybody. I felt like everybody was really accepting and really nice. And, like, I didn't feel like anyone came up to me and asked me what my sexual preference was. Everyone was just immediately friends. And it was a really welcoming experience. Mm-hmm. It was the first time. Maddie? This year, PrideWorks was the largest it's ever been. There were more people that showed up than ever before. And that was really, really exciting to see it go from this conference that not many people knew about held in this gymnasium to this giant conference being hosted at the Doubletree, that was really, really great to see that. Mm-hmm. Nora? Even though, uh, like Morgan said, the LGBT community is usually accepted in this area, there are plenty of schools where um, gay-straight alliances are really uh, ridiculed and really uh, not respected in their schools, and for a group of kids who have been working really hard for the first couple months of school to come to a conference like this and realize that there's overwhelming support and so many resources for them to sort of tap into, especially when it, the going gets tough. I think that that's sort of the beauty of Pride Works, in addition to the sort of social aspect of it and the educational aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I just want to add my point where I think. We just need Pride Works because it's a way to communicate and meet other kids that are LGBT youth and their straight allies. Where I've made so many friends at Pride Works in, in the year I went before and this year, 
and just finding out about new things that I can do to communicate with other people. Friends is so important, you know. So thank you all for joining me on this discussion adventure. Thanks, Travis. I'm George, and you're listening to Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show dealing with LGBTQ struggles, triumphs, lifestyles, and fantasies. Well, you don't have to be queer to be here. We're talking about Pride Works for Youth, an annual conference designed to inform and educate LGBTQ youth and their allies about the realities of growing up gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, and to inspire them to respect and support LGBTQ people and to advocate for positive change. One of the issues addressed at PrideWorks was the portrayal of LGBT people in film. I had the opportunity to talk with Rachel, a professor at Purchase College, Pace University, and Marymount Manhattan College's program at Bedford Women's Prison. Rachel gave some movie recommendations and summed up her workshop. Um, well, I traced a little bit of history of queer cinema when uh, the images of queer people were primarily as... Uh, negative portrayals, murderers, people that you couldn't take seriously, people that were there just to be laughed at through uh, the beginning of the gay liberation movement where we start to see more nuanced portrayals to the more positive, contemporary, queer love stories that now we have access to in queer cinema. Yeah, it's really come a long way. Do you think, um, how do you see it as like support for uh, teens, like... Do you feel like it has that potential to be very big? Yeah, I think that uh, especially queer kids who don't live in a place with a big queer community um, and kind of rely on what they can see in film and TV, it's a good way to see you know different ways to be queer, different options that you have. You can see what it looks like to be in Montana in a film. You know, you can look at the disco scene of the 1980s where they're the gay drag queens taught Madonna how to dance. Um, and you can kind of understand both where we're coming from and where you might go to college and use that as part of your decision-making process if that's something you're thinking about as a teen. Do you have a favorite movie or just a favorite um, movie that deals with uh, LGBTQ issues or any of that? Well, I really like documentaries, and one uh, that I show a lot in my gender studies courses is called Daddy and Papa. It's a documentary about gay men adopting and raising children um, and the struggles that they face, which I think is a, a issue that needs to be talked about more in the queer community, uh, queer people raising families um, and having kids. I like a lot of documentaries. I'm also thinking about... Southern Comfort, which is a documentary about a couple, a trans man and a trans woman, um, who fall in love, and one of them develops cancer, and it's about kind of the journey of the illness. Documentaries really do help a lot, you know, getting information out of the people, you know, for having to have a whole story built around that's fictionalized, it's, you know, just the facts and everything, can make it very good. Um, last couple of questions, um, favorite actor or actress? I was just talking about uh, Rose Troche in Go Fish from the early 90s, but she's, I think, uh, no offense, a much better director than she is an actor, um, but I love her work. Favorite film in general? Doing research for this presentation and watching some older uh, films that have queer content in them. I was just, you know, kind of reminiscing and thinking about the incredibly true adventures of Two Girls in Love, uh, which is a pretty great 
film. It's a kind of adorable teenage love story, which I think we need more of those adorable teenage love stories. So I'll say that one because I'm at a conference with a bunch of teenagers today. <laughs> Rachel is a professor at Purchase College, Pace University, and Marymount Manhattan College's program at Bedford Women's Prison. Colleges like Pace and Purchase are making great strides in their film programs by incorporating queer cinema into their curriculum. Teen sexuality is often an uncomfortable topic, and a lack of available resources for LGBT youth on this matter has made it even worse. People like Emily Schutzman from Planned Parenthood are working toward more inclusive sex education for all teens, regardless of their sexuality and gender expressions. Nora met Emily at PrideWorks and was able to speak to her about her programs. What are you doing here at PrideWorks today? My coworker Sarah Patterson and I are here because we are presenting on how to make sexuality education more LGBTQI inclusive. Some of the things that we think a lot about are um, using inclusive language and not just stopping as not just stopping um, with gender neutral names or um, referring to folks as partners. Like that's a really great way to start, but also talking more about affirming different barriers methods. So a lot of times in sexuality education courses, we just strictly talk about male condoms. While like that is a great barrier method, um, it stops us from having conversations about female condoms, about dental dams, about gloves, about finger cuts, other things that more LGBTQ active, sexually active folks use um, to be safe, to have safer sex. We also talk a lot about um, healthy relationships and having models of healthy relationships that aren't just typical heterosexual relationships, but relationships that are healthy and communicative and have con- are consensual in many ways um, in the LGBTQ community. So ta- having ex- case examples about, you know, um, uh, gay couples or lesbian couples or trans folks, really having more inclusive language about relationships and what healthy relationships look like like across the spectrum. Um, so I know that you sort of work um, in person with people. So what's the difference between having um, young people who are very much involved on the Internet and what's the difference between them getting um, support um, in person, say going to a Planned Parenthood or going to scarletteen.com instead? Like what are the benefits and like pros and cons of each of those sort of resources? That's a great question. You know, The Internet has been such an amazing resource for our community. The LGBTQ community has grown so incredibly through the Internet. There's blogs that are accessible. There's, like you mentioned, Scarletine. There's so many positive models out there. While at the same time, there's also a lot of negative and kind of damaging websites and blogs and videos that folks can can see that really demonize um, LGBTQ communities. So when we have an opportunity to speak one-on-one, we can kind of help to um, siphon through those messages together so that when we talk talk one-on-one, we can give suggestions of the powerful websites, of the really, like, thoughtful and empowering places. Um, But when we also one-on-one, then you have an opportunity to be really personal. You know, you can get your personal questions out. You can have more dialogue about what's going on with you or your community and have follow-ups that are personal for you. 
say there's an individual, LGBTQI, maybe even straight, um, how do you suggest they sort of approach going into a Planned Parenthood? Like, how do they make themselves comfortable, especially since sexuality, especially in the U.S., is such a difficult subject to broach for the most part. Like, socially, it's very um, finicky. Mm-hmm. Um, what are sort of, like, the steps for a young person to either get the confidence to go into a Planned Parenthood and really ask for help, especially if they need it, if they need condoms, if they need to be tested or something like that? What do you suggest in terms of uh, reaching out? You know, I think it's really important to know yourself and know the kind of services that you need and advocate for yourself. It's also great to bring a friend. Like most Planned Parenthoods um, have space to bring an escort if you, you know, want a friend with you or a family member so to kind of help ease that, that anxiety. Don't be afraid to call ahead of time and ask questions about the services, ask what the procedure will look like, um, ask what you should expect. That's a very normal question that our client representatives get um, so that you have an idea of what happens beforehand. Um, We also suggest that you do your own research too so that when you go into a space then you know what to expect. If you have any questions for Planned Parenthood Hudson Valley, call 1-800-230-PLAN. I'm George, and you're listening to Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show dealing with LGBTQ struggles, triumphs, lifestyles, and fantasies. Well, you don't have to be queer to be here. We're talking about Pride Works for Youth, an annual conference designed to inform and educate LGBTQ youth and their allies about the realities of growing up gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, and to inspire them to respect and support LGBTQ people and to advocate for positive change. One of the workshops at PrideWorks was given by Dr. Jalen Ricks. Dr. Ricks spoke about his experiences in the potentially damaging world of reparative therapy. Reparative therapy is an often religious-based attempt to, quote, cure homosexuality. Nora recently talked to him about his experiences. I'm Nora, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jalen Ricks, a survivor of ex-gay therapy. He is now an accomplished columnist of Sex Ed in Bed, appearing in The Advocate and other publications, and the author of Ex-Gay No Way, a book detailing his experience in ex-gay therapy and his journey from self-loathing to self-understanding. Hello, Jalen. Hi there, Nora. Thanks for having me. Yep, no problem. How did you initially become a participant in uh, ex-gay therapy? Well, you know, I uh, grew up in a very religious environment, uh, Southern Baptist in California. They actually have Southern Baptists in California, too. (laughs) And um, by the time I got into college, uh, I realized these feelings I was having were not going away. In fact, they were becoming stronger in some ways. I'd kind of fallen in love with another guy at school, and one of the only options I knew at that time was to try and go to a kind of drop-in group, a -a once-a-week AA group for praying the gay away. Wow. When you started going to uh, ex-gay therapy, did you start going uh, by your own choice, or were you sort of pushed into it? No, I actually decided to go myself. I was already at college, uh, away from my parents, no one really knew that I had these feelings, and then I met this guy, and I um, I went to a therapist, 
that therapist was very, very, uh, it was, was a good therapist. <laughs> and uh, he recognized that I had kind of been spoon-fed a lot of religion most of my life. So he really, really pushed for me to make my own choices, to make my own decisions. I think, uh, looking back, he probably didn't think the ex-gay stuff would work, but he was also very committed to letting me do the exploring and decisions for myself. I don't think now he would refer anybody to that. But back then, this was, you know, quite a while ago, you know, it was all fairly new territory. I was going to be the good Christian boy, and I was going to get out there and, you know, be the straight Christian for God. And so I was going to do everything I could to um, fix this, quote-unquote. Can you give us a sort of a brief overview of what occurred in ex-gay therapy sure. and um, how you realized that it was doing more harm than good? It was uh, kind of like group therapy with a, a religious twist. So we would go and we would kind of worship and sing songs and get really close to the spirit in that way. There'd be kind of a pep talk, almost like a sermon, but then we would divide up into small groups. And we would share our struggles. We'd pray for each other. And I did this about uh, six, eight months. And um, the thing that began to kind of raise red flags was I wasn't seeing any straight people. <laughs> I mean, even the leadership would tell me, "Gosh, I have to, I have to fantasize about men to please my wife in bed." And I was like, "Wow, that doesn't sound like you're straight. That sounds like you're gay and just kind of faking it or <laughs> being uh, ex-gay for pay almost." <laughs> and I also noticed that people were really becoming quite self-abusive. They would kind of feel like they're making progress, and then they would have a fall, or they would be tempted, or um, maybe we would try to go as long as we could without self-pleasuring, and then maybe someone would fall, and then they would feel like a great failure, like they failed God, and then they would be, become self-abusive. And all of this was happening in front of me, and I was still kind of going, I'm not seeing any straight people coming out of this. Also, their theories, their kind of pop psychology theories, are the same ones that they tried to do back in the 60s, uh, the psychological community would try to do. And so they would pair you up with a, a mentor that would be like a father figure to you, but somehow that was going to make you straight. And I would see these men that would be kind of like a couple older men, younger men, and they would be kind of a mentor, but almost in every, sometimes they would even live with each other. And in every way, they were like a gay couple, except they weren't having sex. When I began to see that people were really, really harming themselves, I really kind of be began to back off. So in some ways, I had it pretty good. I mean, I just went to a drop-in group and began to see that it didn't work. What I began to learn, though, was that there were living groups out there, almost kind of like a, a cultic camp where people will go and submerge themselves 24-7 in this de-gayification, and um, it really kind of had a cultic environment where the leadership was like the word of God, and people were uh, would follow them, and if they questioned them at all, they'd kick them out. And um, they had no job. They couldn't go home to their parents or their family because they, the family was who sent them to this camp. So um, it just became more, it became more and more clear to me that these were abusive environments 
and they were using religion to be to abuse people, and um, I just had to to really back off. How do you speak to a younger audience about sexuality and ex-gay therapy? I primarily focus on the abusive environments that the ex-gay functions from. When I go to talk to kids about it. I really keep the focus on um, these are environments that are going to abuse you and could potentially damage you quite a bit. What sort of responses did you get at PrideWorks from the students or from、uh, the advisors? They were very, very responsive, very respectful, and very engaged. You know, I divide them up into small groups and give them stories of what ex-gay survivors have gone through, and then challenge them. How would you be a good friend to a person that's gone through that, or, or how would you help、uh, a parent when they feel like they've lost their child to something like this? How would we help them? And they all were just very engaged and enjoyed it, and were asking good questions. And it, it was a it was a wonderful experience. I'm Nora, and here on Outcasting, I'm speaking with Dr. John Ricks, a survivor of ex-gay therapy. He is now an accomplished columnist and the author of Ex-Gay No Way. So,、uh, why is it important for young people to know about ex-gay therapy and its detriments? Well. Um, because it's so damaging, I, I think it's a complicated issue. Because you know, I believe the leadership really wants to feel they are very sincere in their desire to help people, and that's where it can be confusing. But you will also find in the ex-gay environment that the vast majority of these people are not trained professionals. They have very little education when it comes to sexuality. What they are going on is that they have been told, and they believe that God doesn't love gays and lesbians, or God cannot accept gays and lesbians, and therefore they think it should not exist in our society. Homosexuality. Notice how th- that similar that sounds to say what a bully might say: "You don't really belong in this society, so I'm going to beat you up." Ex-gay and reparative therapists feel like they can solve the problem by. You know, either praying the gay away or putting you in some kind of therapy, but it's still the same statement. They don't believe that homosexuality should exist, and that's very dangerous. You know, regardless of how sincere they are, it's a very, very scary thought. And、um, I believe that we all are humans, and we all deserve rights and dignities, regardless of our sexual preference. What sort of resources are there for either survivors of ex-gay therapy or for those interested in learning more about、uh, ex-gay therapy? Our website has a lot of information on it.、Um, also,、um, uh, TruthWinsOut.com, the kind of a political watchdog for any kind of politician or legislation that would be supportive of reparative therapy and. Ex-gay、uh, ministries. There's also a website called Box Turtle. You can also always go to、um, PFLAG. They also have a lot of really great resources about reparative therapy and ex-gay ministries. Yeah, I guess the political、uh, websites must have a lot to say about Michelle Bachman and、uh, his、uh, husband. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. 
I'm Nora. I've been speaking with uh, Dr. Jalen Ricks, a survivor of ex-gay therapy. He is now an accomplished columnist of Sex Ed in Bed, appearing in The Advocate and other publications, and the author of Ex-Gay No Way, a book detailing his experience in ex-gay therapy and his journey from self-loathing to self-understanding. Thank you so much, Jalen. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Nora. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show. Dealing with LGBTQ struggles, triumphs, lifestyles, and fantasies. Well, you don't have to be queer to be here. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home, at school, or just with yourself, call the Trevor Hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH-FM 90.3, Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. For more information about this program and a list of resources including the Trevor Project Suicide Hotline, visit us at WDFH.org and click on Outcasting. I'm George. Thank you for joining us. Tune in next time. If you enjoyed this program, please make a tax-deductible gift to WDFH. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit WDFH.org and click on Donate. Thanks.